group here and thank Professor Young who uh, wrote the arrangement to come to Calvary's Holy Mountain for us. Let's thank them all for their time. Wash your robes and make them white. You will live with God in light. Today we're going to spend some time with the book of Genesis, chapter 37, and a little section in our, our section of Hebrews 11. Uh, Genesis 37, I think it's on page 31 of your pewed Bibles or near the front of your electronic uh, mechanisms, and, uh, and Hebrews 11. Chapel, this uh, Mondays, have been looking at the heroes of, heroes of faith, the hall of fame or the hall of faith. The great cloud of witnesses as put forward by the author of the book of Hebrews. But we've been asked to look at them at who they truly are. Sinful people used by God to further his kingdom, to care for his people, and to point all to a savior. The letter to the Hebrews is written to people who understand the Old Testament. So obviously the author is working through a group of people in the Old Testament. And today we get to the end of the book of Genesis in his list. We get to Joseph. And in, in Joseph, the second, son, second youngest son of Jacob, Hebrews 11 kind of blows right past him. A kind of just fleeting way he throws it in. And in verse 22 he says, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Well, that's interesting. What do we do with that? Well, today what I'm going to do is actually jump back toward the beginning of Joseph's account in Genesis to see how the author of the, uh, of the book of Hebrews gets to this point where the mention of the Exodus, the mentioning of his bones is actually of any validness. Why is that a picture of faith at all as we look? As the author points us to Joseph's life, he points us to his life in Egypt to the faith and trust that he has in God, that someday they would be led out into a promised land. As we look at the beginning, we see that things are very different. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 37, starting at verse 2, where we first hear about Joseph as he's grown, Joseph as he's living amongst his family. And so Genesis chapter 37, verse 2, would you read that with me, please? Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So I'm supposed to show you about the humanness of people. I'm supposed to show you how God uses normal people. And the first thing I see is we're talking about a 17-year-old male. I was a 17-year-old male once. I've had three of them go through my house. Luckily, just about two weeks ago, my youngest turned 18. He is now a legal resident. Everything now falls on his shoulders. What is up with 17-year-old boys? You know, it's clear to me they're somewhere between the innocence of childhood and the maturity of manhood. That's where a 17-year-old resides. And if sibling rivalry is a part of it, or if the eye of a girl is a part of it, all bets are off as to what might happen. And on top of that, verse 2 in Genesis 37 tells us this was a typical 17-year-old who was also a tattletale. 
he brought a bad report of his brothers to his father. Nothing like standing against ten brothers and telling your dad about how, you, how they have messed up in their lives. Well, Genesis 37 goes on. It talks about, well, why would this 17-year-old tattletale, what's going on with him? Why would he be important? Well, look at what's going on. In verses 3 and 4, Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Jacob presents Joseph with a visible sign of his favoritism. When combined with the dreams we would read about a few verses later, which are readily shared to his brothers, it's any wonder his brothers can't stand Joseph. Personally, you know, I don't get the whole idea of wearing loud colored clothes. I don't get the idea of what, you know, what's up with that? Is there a gaudiness to wearing something that is overtly colorful? But Joseph had it, didn't he? Some people think it was a long-sleeved robe is what he was what he was wearing. Either way, what was it? It was a daily reminder to his brothers of his father's love of Joseph. And it was a reminder to them of what maybe they didn't have. Maybe what they desired inwardly most. You know, if anybody can understand robes, academia can, we wear them all the time. We wear them for the best reasons. We wear them in honor of our alma mater. We wear them for personal acknowledgement, achievement. And if we're honest, many times they're worn in selfish pride. They're worn with egotism. You know, pomp and circumstance, I looked it up, says basically an ostentatious display and a ritualistic event. Nothing says ego like ostentatious. We wear robes all the time in academia. How would Joseph have worn his robe? Would his statement to his brothers have been one that said, look how much my, lo- my father loves me? Probably. Was that necessarily a wrong statement? Not at all. And yet, that message can be missed by so many. Due to their own jealousy, maybe due to Joseph's own attitude, Joseph may have even used that chance to, to rub it in a little bit as a typical 17-year-old male would. So what happens to Joseph? Well, we know in chapter 37, if you jump a few verses down to verse 19, after a bunch of dreams that are shared, Joseph very lovingly shares those dreams. I doubt that. I bet you he shoved it right in their face what those dreams meant. And they're prophetic. They're actually telling what's going to happen. And yet, they've had enough. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But Reuben, the oldest, heard it and said, one of the oldest heard it and said, he rescued him out of their hands saying, don't take his life. He said, shed no blood, throw him into the pit over here in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him. And he did that so he could come back and rescue him. But Reuben leaves. And we move on to verse 23. And we find out the brothers have had enough. They stripped Joseph of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And in verse 26, 
Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hands be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And the brothers listened to him. And Reuben comes back in verse 31 and we hear, They took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animals devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. By the way, the pictures that appeared up there were from uh, artist uh, D'Antonio who painted a picture of Joseph's story who was at the Getty. It was really interesting to see how he incorporated all into a single picture, a single act. And here we are, right? The robe filled with goat's blood. That robe that Jacob gave as a sign of love to Joseph has come back to him bloodied, a mess. It's covering the evil decisions of the brothers of Joseph. Surely this would have kept Jacob from searching for Joseph ever again. No reason to go out and look for him. No reason to go find him when, in fact, he's been devoured and torn to shreds. That robe covered in goat's blood is still a sign of the love of his father. But it appears that he's lost his son forever. Well, we know how that story continues throughout Genesis. Joseph has lots of difficult years. He he lives in Egypt. He's accused of rape. He's imprisoned. He's seemingly left for dead, and it appears all is lost and will never be right again. But things change. And by the time he sees his brothers once again, once they're back in front of him, through all those years, Joseph has a totally different understanding of what has taken place over those decades. In verse chapter 50 of Genesis, we read this. But Joseph said, Do not fear, for, I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. And he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. Joseph has realized that through those evil acts, God has used them to save his family, to save the ones who did the evil against him. Isn't it amazing what time can do when you look back over a series of events? While in the middle, it's so hard to see what's happening, what's going on. And yet when we look back, much as Joseph did, sometimes we see that God, not planning those events, not directing those, but using them, is willing to make and able to make things right and proper. And of course, we have the entirety of Scripture to look back on. So we see Joseph's robe in a much different way. We see it as pointing to a robe that came in a future time. In John chapter 19, when Pilate took Jesus and he flogged him. And he put on him a purple robe. And that purple robe was covered in blood. It was a robe designed for a king, and yet it was the robe of love from a father. A father who said, I need that robe covered in not goat's blood, but the blood of the goat, 
the greatest of all time. That robe still today means something to us. As Hebrews points us towards faith that God has given all of his people, that faith and promise in the, in the, in the promises of God, he allows us to wear a robe. He puts on us a robe that's Christ's robe. Not a purple robe, but a white robe. In Revelation, we hear two times about this robe. In Revelation 6, a very difficult time. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe. And they were told (coughs) to rest a little longer. And in Revelation 7 we hear, Who are these clothed in white robes? And where have they come from? And they say, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. You see, we have a robe. We have robes that are given to us. We have a white robe. A white robe of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Eighteen years ago, in about a week, eighteen years ago, my youngest was baptized at that altar, at that baptismal font. At Concordia University, he came and was baptized with the robe of righteousness. That is what makes a difference in the lives of people. The robe of Joseph is the robe of sacrifice for his family, for his people. The robe that Christ gives us is one of sacrifice for his family and for his people. We're looking forward to a place, just like Joseph did. We look forward to a home. We look forward to a great place where God has called us. Once we die, we're assured of a place with Him. And that's the message of why Hebrews goes to that section of Joseph's life. That's why Joseph is included in that great cloud of witnesses. He had such faith in the promises of God that God would bring him and his family to that promised land that he even directed how that would work at the end of his life. Back in Genesis chapter 50... Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. It took 430 more years for that to happen. 430 years before that promise was fulfilled. But Joseph's promise the one that he received as a part of God's people, was handed down to his family and was handed down through a bloody robe. This promise included the one who would give us a robe, a robe of righteousness on a way to a cross, and passes that robe on to each and every one of us in faith as his family. God bless you today.